G'day and welcome to a new little mini-series we're going to do throughout the Ashes on Beyond the Fence. A recap of every Test match, hopefully, provided our guest doesn't kill me after this one. Um, all the way from... Where are you, Sydney? Fuck, I didn't know that. Ryan O'Connell is mate. back. The, the elite level fraud. How are you? I'm very well, mate. How are you? How's Hobart? The home of the fifth Test. <laughs> yes. Well, the renowned Test venue, uh, Blundstone Arena, and it's 11,000 fans, according to Warney. Um, do you want to start with that? Yeah, let's go. I when it came, obviously, you know, screw Perth, screw Western Australia. I, I no sympathy for them losing their test. Um, but then, yeah, when when the options came out, it was either Canberra, Hobart, or you know, if you looked at the one man campaign from SK, a second test in in Melbourne. What, what were you leaning towards? Well, I actually was hoping Hobart would get it just from a purity of everyone getting a go and you know ashes test is pretty amazing to get to get one of those and hobart doesn't get many tests i actually thought it was pretty cool and then a few more rational comments came out which i started to think oh that's actually a good point like it's probably the closest deck to what england are used to i didn't realize it was going to be a day and nighter so the ball's going to seam around and swing around i'm like oh maybe not sure if it's 2-2 heading to Hobart, that <laughs> might come back to bite them in the bum. As a, but just purely from a good for Tasmania to get, you know, a, a marquee event, I was, I was pretty happy from an emotional point of view, but the, um, the rational point of view was a bit, ooh, yeah, maybe that's not a great idea. Yeah, considering, you know, Tasmania were meant to host tests against Afghanistan and then obviously that got canned. It was, yeah. you know, you'd rather lose an Afghanistan test to get Nash's test. So in that respect, it's, it's pretty yeah. good. But yeah... <clears throat> I didn't realize it was going to be a day night or either. And then people are asking me, oh, is it quite chilly at night in Hobart? Like, well, yes, <laughs> a little <Very>. bit. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the temperature is going to be low. It, yeah. The ball's going to, it's going to be hooping. So, um, yeah. And then what about the financial cost? Do Cricket Australia take a hit from, oh, I don't know how the finances work. Do like the, does the crowd take all the revenue? Because if Melbourne host it, you're looking at, you know, 100,000 on day one, probably, you know, 80,000 down. And then, you know, you're probably looking at a fair whack of people. Who gets that revenue? I don't know, but I, I read that one of the reasons that Melbourne maybe didn't win the, the second, the, the fifth test, sorry, is because they were struggling to sell tickets for, for the Boxing Day test. And CA oh, wow. were like, well, you know, we've you've got your test, but you know, if you're struggling to, like, yeah, it was poor ticket sales apparently for, for the later days of the Boxing Day that they were like, well, maybe we won't give Melbourne a second one. And especially considering... The, the fifth test is it's going to fall in working hours and you know it's yeah. not going to be it'll be school holidays still but it's not going to be like public holidays for everyone so yeah yeah financially i i don't know how it works i i assume the tassie government probably has chipped in a, a fair a fair chunk um yep. you know but blundstones it's a great little venue it's twenty thousand, it i think is the actual capacity um if you ignore all the fake news <laughs> but but yeah I, I didn't know i was gonna be Dan artist so hopefully the the test uh, from a wanting to win perspective hopefully it is you know three one or two uh you know two nil whatever it is yeah i, th- I thought it was a bit unfair like warney got on his high heel saying you know that the attendances for test matches down in hobart haven't been that great you know, if the last one there was you know the windies or new zealand i'm like yeah that's because it was the windies in new zealand that's, <laughs> i don't think it was tasmanians not turning out for test cricket oh, i think they'll turn out in their droves for for a test yeah. match over the ashes deal yeah, I've, I've got, yeah, people are always already messaging me going, we're taking leave for the for all the days to yeah. to go watch. And um, just lastly on that, I've, I've, I haven't looked this up, so I probably, I'm just going off what people have said, but Belle Reeve is 
just as big as half the the English venues anyway. So if attendance is the is the issue, then well, that's that doesn't really fly when you look at that. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. Good point. I was going to um, say something, but I didn't have anything smart to say, so I just. Go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hope that's not a recurring theme. <laughs> but um, let, let's let's go back to before the test, and I don't want to talk about Tim Payne. That's been done ad nauseum. But once Tim Payne stepped down as captain, and the options started circling, it was Pat Cummins, obviously as the vice captain, was the presumed front runner just on that basis. Did you ever think they were going to maybe go back to Steve Smith? Uh, I personally didn't. I, th- I thought they knew they'd cop too much flack. And I think where they landed, I think they kind of had their cake and eat it too. I think the concerns around Cummins being a fast bowler and whether that's the best um, fit for a captain was probably weighing on their mind. Uh, and I think the way that they went, they probably got, you know, the best of both worlds that, you know, they, they get the experience of Steve Smith and the supposed tactical now of Steve Smith, although I have some question marks over that myself, but, you know, but they also got away with not copying the full-on flap from the media and fans for putting Steve Smith back into captaincy. So I think it was probably an astute move from Cricket Australia's point of view. And after one test, it looks like a pretty smart move all around, to be honest. Well, the concern with any bowler that's a captain is obviously how if they bowl themselves too often or not enough, et cetera, et cetera. But I thought early on day one, the bowling rotations, they were pretty, pretty quick. Um, seem to play to the matchups well. Yeah, you nailed it. I think that's one of the biggest issues with a bowling captain is, you know, they're going to be worried that the team thinks, oh, he's just bowling himself um, or he, or he underbowls himself. And I think that was our biggest concern with Pat Cummins. He's the number one bowler in the world. You know, I think his test average is 21 or something insane like that. So I was like, no, we pretty much want you to get come on as soon as possible. And at one stage, he took Stark off after just two overs. And whilst that might seem a bit harsh, it's almost the perfect use of Stark. You know, get in, see, see how hot you are early on, how quick you're bowling, how much you're swinging it, how much impact you have, get an early wicket, and then bring Cummins on. So got no arguments with how it's panned out so far. But I think the real litmus test will come when we're under pressure and, you know, there's a 200-run partnership or 150-run partnership or something like that, which England got close to on the end of day three. But I think that's when the pressure will show whether the underbowls or underbowls himself. But so far, so good. Yeah, it was, it was probably the, the best test for him, just a complete downhill ski, you know, especially <laughs> getting a getting the first baller on the first morning. And then, you know, I don't know what Rory Burns is doing. He's fallen across. That was shocking. No, and it wasn't a one-off. If you, if you saw the analysis, I think it was from Fox in the second innings, he was still putting that foot way across. So it wasn't like just he got, you know, he was nervous, it was first ball or he wasn't ready, any of that type of stuff. He was consistently doing it. So, you know, I don't know if it was a plan by Stark or if it was just a really well-placed ball, but either way, it was terrible footwork. But, uh, you know, but it was also a pretty nasty ball to get first up. But yeah, he didn't do himself any favours. No. Um, back on the captaincy, and I know you had particular eye with this point in in the WhatsApp that we've got going on. But uh, at the end of day two, when Travis Head and uh, who, who was it with him, uh, Alex Carey or Paddy or whoever was in with him, you know, they were putting on runs and then the comps start talking about, oh, do you declare it? Do you declare now? Get, you know, five, six overs at England, you know, with the, the light, you know, fading, the ball might start swinging. You were against that. <laughs> Yeah, and then they, they, they continued that even at stumps. They thought maybe should they declare overnight? And I just thought that was absolutely madness. It was day two. It's a, it's a long series. We've got England on the ropes. There's a chance to keep them out there for another half a day. 
There was no time pressure, obviously, considering it was day two. The weather was holding up. It didn't look like it was going to rain for the next three days. There is absolutely zero reason to declare at that stage. Literally none. You can inflict some serious physical and mental pain on England and get them demoralised and tired, you know, three, four days into the series. And then with a quick turnaround to test two, you can have them knackered for test two or forcing changes. That literally zero reason to declare. It was absolute stupidity to even suggest it. To be yeah, honest. and I think the lead when they started talking about it was only one fifty or so. And yeah. it's it's an ashes. It's not like you know if this was against Afghanistan, then yeah, maybe sure, who cares? But an ashes test when, like you said, the weather's getting better, the the decks hardening up a little bit, and the ball's not swinging as much. You don't leave a hundred. Well, what in the end, one hundred and thirty runs on the board just for a five over spell before stumps when you, you might get one wicket, but I mean, you know, that it, it did seem a bit premature and a bit pointless. Yeah. And it's not like sometimes you, you think about doing that in Adelaide because the ball is just absolutely hooping around and facing five overs at the end of the day is actually, you might get two, you know, you might not just get the cheap wicket, you might get two and that really does change the game, but not, not in Brisbane where it's hard and fast, you know, that was just madness. Yeah, where it famously becomes a better batting wicket as it goes on. <laughs> exactly. Um, any other general thoughts on Paddy's captaincy, though? No, I thought it was pretty spot on. I mean, he didn't have to get too funky with his field placements because, you know, there was only the one significant partnership by England. Um, and then it did look like Steve Smith was in charge of a few things out there anyway. I think when Stokes got squared up by Cummins in the second innings, I think Green took a catch at Gully. And then immediately pointed at Steve Smith and everyone's high five, which gave you the impression that there was, if not a field placement, at least a plan by, by Steve Smith. So I think if they can actually manage it that way, I think that's a that's a nice way to do it because yeah. I'm not sure Steve Smith's a great captain, to be honest. I think he's too intense. I think he's a bit focused on himself. And yeah. I think he can get a bit, um, not angry, but just a bit, um, doesn't that the poker face of previous captains? Whereas as a deputy, you can just kind of suggest stuff. And I think that's where he might be at his best, to be honest. So I think it, we may have stumbled into something that might work perfect, perfectly well. And even you look back at when he was captain and you look at his deputies, um, and even obviously after the whole thing, you know, Paddy Cummins, Travis Head, both relatively, let's say, even keeled or, you know, more yeah. blokey. Like Smith seems like a bit of a weirdo, let's just be honest. A massive, yeah, I mean, massive weirdo. Yeah, the one thing I was really impressed with by Cummins' captaincy, and it's going to sound quite weird, is just how unemotional he was with the DRS. He, like he he would he would take the the view of other people, and he wouldn't you know go up for a you know a half-hearted kind of DRS, kind of the anti-Shane Watson, if you like. He, he was very very even killed, even when it was his own bowling. And as you know, when you're bowling, you think everything's out. So yeah, he, he showed a lot of poise, to be honest. Yeah. No, I, I heard the commentators mentioning that, you know, especially when that, you know, Manus would run in with his, like, you know, you can just piss off. We don't need your opinion, but um, yeah. <laughs> um, moving on, obviously, again, everything stems back to Tim Payne somehow, but Alex Carey comes in for his debut, the presumed next in line for the last, well, five years or so, really. Mm-hmm. Um, talk that maybe they'd just skip him and go Josh Inglis, but I don't think there was any real doubt that Carey was going to come in um, kept really well. Didn't have, didn't do much with the bat. Didn't really need to. But what was it? Eight dismissals. Uh, a record on debut. 
Yeah, eight dismissal. And I'm going to steal someone's comment here. Someone said no one noticed him behind the stumps, and that's when you know you've had a brilliant game as a keeper. And that's exactly how I felt. I didn't even really think about his keeping. I didn't notice it. I didn't. It just didn't catch the eye. And that's kind of like a good referee as well. When you don't notice him, they've yeah. done a fantastic job. And she's literally that's how good he was. It wasn't even you know anything really to, to call out from a mistake point of view. Did you ever think they were going to go Inglis over him? I thought they were just because they talked about it. I thought it was so obvious that Kerry should get it. I think you owe it to all the players in Australia. If someone has been the incumbent and someone's in the one-day team and someone is scoring runs at shield level, you, you can't you can't overrule them. It kind of it sets it makes everyone nervous if you don't pick that person. It's like, well, hang on, what is the criteria here? I'm in the Australian Australian one-day team. I've done bad well in the Australian one-day team. I'm batting well at shield level. Um, you kind of have to pick that person, I think. Otherwise, it, it creates a real inconsistency and nervousness around all the players. Yeah, and I'm not, look, I'm not even a massive Alex Carey Alex fan. Carey fan. No, neither am I. Um, um, but I mean, yeah, like you said, it's he's been around the setup for like, what, five, six, seven years now. He's pretty much been earmarked, especially when he came over from uh, AFL, when he came back to cricket performed really well for white ball and obviously white ball form doesn't always translate, but yeah, I think you owed it to him to at least give him the chance to look, if he, if he flops, he flops and then you can bring in English. No questions asked, yep. but yep. maybe, maybe they also didn't bring in English because English was born in the UK and you know, we don't <laughs> like, um, that's why Renshaw is going to get a look in until after this series either. <laughs> um, from someone who debuted and, you know, did a really good job to someone who, maybe a little bit surprised not that he was included but that he was decided on so early in the piece and that was Marcus Harris um obviously he's he's a seems to score runs in shield although we wouldn't even get into this conversation in the first place but it was odd I thought that they pretty much confirmed he was opening weeks ago yeah I, I think it probably speaks to the lack of openers in Australia to be honest we you know with Pekoski still having his um bouncer issues and out until the end until next year i think from memory not even playing shield cricket it kind of harris was kind of last man standing unless you want to pick quasia as an opener so i think harris got in just because of the the lack of other options i can't imagine he was a confident pick based off the fact he now has the lowest test average of any ashes opener from either side <laughs> at 18 or something ridiculous like that. So, although he's not out, might have helped that a little bit. But, you know, I can't believe he was picked with so much confidence, but I think it's got more to do with the lack of options rather than absolute faith in him. Yeah, and you look at the Australia A game that's going on. Uh, Bryce Street, Henry Hunt have both batted well in that. But again, debutants probably weren't ever going to throw those in. Was there ever a feasibility that they were going to pick Kawaja as an opener? Uh, I would have, to be honest. I, I would have picked Kwaja as opener over Harris. Um, I think it's a small sample size. It's only five tests, but he averages like 97 or something because of the test opener. Um, and, you know, five tests is small, but it's not insignificant. It's not like one test. Yeah. So, you know, I, I would have been pretty happy to open with him. He may still open the next test if Warner is, is ruled out with his rib injury issue. Um, but I don't know if Kwaja is ever a serious option to the actual selectors. I think it was just an option in my head. <laughs> no, I agree. And look, even, you know, Harris, and I read something just before we came on here that the the short innings chase for, what, 20 runs isn't going to help Harris because you can't really get enough runs to keep the critics at bay. You can only fail. Mm-hmm. And he didn't fail, so good on him. But, you know, nine not out. 
I, I don't think they'll bring Kawhi's room for the second test only because of the old, you don't change a winning team, especially with injury clouds elsewhere. Yeah. I, don't, I, I think if maybe if Warner wasn't in, maybe in doubt in our minds, he might not be in doubt really, but they're just playing a bit of mind games. But I think, yeah, if, if Warner wasn't in doubt, then maybe you'd make that change. But I, I think if you are looking at potential changes elsewhere, you don't want to make another one just for the, for the sake of one. Yeah, and question without notice, because I only saw Kawaja score in the first innings of the Australia game. Did he get any in the second inning? No. No, I've got the score no. in front of me. He got... Uh, oh, I closed it. This is great live radio here. He so got yeah, 11 in the first innings, and in the second innings, he got five. So, yeah, not great. Yeah, um, so he's not exactly banging down the door, as they say. No, well, he's he's had a good shield season, I've been told, yeah, by, by Queenslanders. I'm trying to find the stats as we go, but I can't be bothered sifting through quick info but um you would have liked him to make some runs against uh, the lions that's true especially considering the lions bowlers are you know i haven't heard of any of them so can't be that good <laughs> um but no other blokes in that team did make runs nick maddinson made runs so i assume he'll be in for a 10 test spell soon because you know <laughs> we can we can never truly give up on nick maddinson oh god um, i think we can <laughs> But obviously, with Harris being confirmed so early, the the question was then not Harris or Kawaja. It was Harris. Oh, sorry, it was Head or Kawaja for yeah. that number five spot. And t- talk about statement innings, right? Yeah, beginnings. Um, and look, people have kind of said he went out there and had a bit of a slog, but there were actually crucial runs. Like Australia lost a couple of quick wickets in succession. There was, a, there was the chance that we were going to squander a pretty dominant position and kind of did this standard Australia thing and get rolled um, after, you know, putting the opposition uh, under a lot of pressure. But he actually came out, he scored quite freely. And then once he got his eye and he really just put any loose stuff away, it, like, you know, I'm not a massive Travis Head fan, as you know, but I can't fault that innings. Oh, I think that's probably undoubtedly one of the oh, it's best, certainly his best innings, but it's one of the best Test centuries Australia's put on for probably the last four or five years, apart from the Steve Smith masterclass. Um, he was great. Yeah, it's Tred's uh Tred. Travis Head's been around for a while now. He's um <laughs> he has been around for five, six years, but he's still only 27, 28. It's just that that constant feeling of wanting more from him, I guess. But and look, you'd hope this gives him something to build on. You're obviously not going to expect 152 striking at over hundred. Um, for innings going forward, but it's a similar innings to, I guess, what someone like David Warner plays, just that free scoring at the start, really wrestling momentum, but in, an, in, in a spot where they were at risk of, because when you're batting at five, you're batting with the tail for a large part of it. If you are going to, yeah. especially if, you know, the blokes below you, like Cameron Green, Golden Duck, Alex Carey, 12. Yeah. So I thought it was really, really important for him and you look at how someone like, and I know we don't like the Indians, but Rishad Pant, it was a similar innings to him where he just comes out. Even if you got like a quick 70 or 80, it probably helps to go a long way. The fact that he went on with it with 150 probably cements his spot in the side for, well, at least the rest of this series. Yeah, I mean, there was one shot in particular. There was a, a cut shot outside, well, outside off, funnily enough, where he just absolutely played it and had like a real flamboyant follow through. And they actually it did remind everyone of Phil Hughes, just the way he absolutely threw the kitchen sink at it. And then that flamboyant flick around his head afterwards. And I just thought, oh, he's on here. This isn't just a fluky shot. Like he's absolutely creamed the hell out of that. 
And England didn't bowl well to him. You know, I've got to I've got to say, if Anderson and Broad were out there, I don't think he would have got some of the loose shit he did. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> you can you can tie Travis head up and then tempt him outside off, and that's generally where he nicks off or, or flays one outside to, to gully or slips, and he kind of gets out pretty regularly in the same way. But you know, once you started bowling where he wants them, and then he, he drove really well. Like I haven't seen him straight drive like that um, for a while, if ever. Um, and that's when you knew he's not just you know having a good dig here. He's in good good form. And then the confidence he'll take from that, I think, will, will really set him up for the rest of the series. I hope. I hope he capitalizes on it. Mitchell Stark. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's just me, but I get the feeling that Warney doesn't like him. <laughs> Wait, I have no idea why you think that, but talk me through that. Is there any evidence to suggest that's um, true? I, I don't know. Maybe um, I'm not even going to go there, but maybe, you know, maybe Warney had a crack at Alyssa Healy and she rejected him. And then that's it just built this hatred for him. But do you reckon Warney knows how transparent he is? Or do you think he's actually, does, do you think he thinks in his head he's being quite objective and he, he's just telling well, he knows. He he knows there's discourse around it because he, he every like, every session he's commentating, he does come on and go, especially if Stark's bowling. Oh, it's it's nothing personal with with Mitch. Yeah. I'm allowed to have an opinion on on his bowling and yeah, like well, no, you are, but not that opinion because that's yeah. not that's not that's not an opinion on his. But that's just a pile on. Um, but- I think Mitch Johnson, I think now that best, he was on ABC Radio and he just said, "You're just taken away from a great moment for no reason." Like there's there's no one else was thinking or saying what you were saying. Just let the guy enjoy it. It was a first <laughs> ball in the Ashes. Think about how bad some of the first ball in Ashes have gone. Steve Harvison, <laughs> everyone, just celebrate it. Yes, yes, Rory. It just like at one point he was saying it was just a crap ball going down leg. No, it hit leg. <laughs> it, was, it was going down leg. Yeah, down the middle of leg. Hmm. Um, but no, Stark, I thought, bowled well. And that speaks also to how Cummins used him in those short bursts. Yeah, he's, a, he's an elite, a limited overs weapon. And he, he can be that because he can just rope in for short bursts and, you know, just go as hard as you can, as fast as you can, try to swing it back in, have a spell, and then come back and do it again. If you can get away with letting bowlers do that in test matches, that's great. It's just you don't normally have that luxury because your first change probably is such a dip in quality. But because we've got Pat Cummins' first change, you're not losing anything. You've basically got three openers as bowlers. So you can't afford to have that strategy with Stark. I don't think other teams would have that luxury. Um, but, you know, having the best bowler in the world come on as first change enables us to use Stark the way you probably should be used. Yeah, and only bowled 12 overs in the first innings. Obviously, second one a little bit longer. But, yeah, it was almost a limited overs, Yeah, uh, I guess, d- distribution of the overs. Couple of quick notes: milestones. Lyon getting his four hundredth. Cam Green getting his first wicket. Both nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. I mean, Lyon. It's been a long time coming, and you could sense in that in that first innings when the, in, in, when uh, Australia were, were bowling, he was just pushing a little bit too hard for that four hundred. The whole, you know, the whole team knew it. The whole stadium knew it. Everyone watching on TV knew that one more wicket was four hundred, and he just wasn't bowling with a lot of confidence. He was just trying a little bit too hard. And there wasn't a coincidence that the minute he got that 400th, he relaxed a little bit, started bowling a little bit more confidence, bowling a little bit wider off stump, throwing it up a little bit more. And then he got two or three more wickets after that. And so it was it was a cliche, but, you know, the monkey was off his back and he relaxed and he bowled a little bit better after that 400, but he was just striving too hard to get that wicket, unfortunately. Yeah, just remembered where to bowl again. But um, yeah. just on Cam Green as well, that old, bells, old ball spell he had where he got Joe Root, I thought was 
showed like obviously the best bowling he's ever done in his short test career. But I think I've I've been a bit critical that he bowls maybe the same ball over and over again. But getting that old ball to move just slightly, getting Joe Root out, that was really impressive. Yeah, there was just a bit of a away movement for that ball that he got Joe Root on, but he also gave him nothing before that. Uh, it, it was a kind of a lead up. And yes, he can be a little bit prone of maybe bowling the same ball, but he also doesn't give you anything loose. That's kind of the plus and negative of that. Yeah. You know, the, the people have said he's a little bit like Shane Watson when he first burst on the scene quick, but just up and down. But I think Green's got just a little bit more movement than Watson did early on in his career. And he's a bit taller and he bowls super upright. So I think he's probably 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. So it's probably coming at you at a fairly good bounce or fairly good trajectory as a batsman. So, yeah, I reckon he's going to be a bit of a handful. Like, if he's your fifth bowler, you're doing pretty well. As long as he doesn't have the review skills of Watson, I think we'll be fine. <laughs> uh, quick ones, injury clouds. I mentioned David Warner already. They think he's probably going to be fine. Josh Hazelwood's oh. the, the worry. Yeah, a side strain as a bowler is probably one of the worst injuries you could probably get just because it's what they call his grunt muscle. Yeah. I think given it's a long series, given the quick turnaround, I wouldn't be surprised if they're a little bit conservative and they rest him, even if he says he's right and he comes up all right. The other thing is Jai Richardson um, in Adelaide under those lights is probably a pretty good replacement to come in because he hoops it around quite a bit. So it's not the worst replacement just for Adelaide. If it was somewhere else like the WACO, I'd probably be a little bit nervous. But I think, you know, in Adelaide, the pink ball, I probably want to give Joe Richardson the test anyway, to be honest. It's funny you bring up Richardson because a lot of people reckon if Hazelwood's out, Nisa is Nisa, Nessa, yeah. uh, next yeah. in line. And yeah. I guess picking Nessa is kind of that same argument that you gave Alex Carey. He's been in the system for so long without that chance. Either or, it's, it's a good choice. You're not really going to... Yeah, you know, I mean, and, and Nessa got a fifer in the A game as well. I mean, he's been getting fifers for about five years. Every time I look at Shield... <laughs> Shield um, um, scores, there's Nessa, five. It's He's probably one of the most consistent bowls around. But I think in per, uh, sorry, in Adelaide, I think Richardson's ability to hoop that ball might just give him the nod of Nessa. And Ben Stokes, clearly carrying something tough through it. I don't know what the latest is on him either. No, I mean, he appeared to tweak his knee at one point fielding, um, but he didn't even look that great before that. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if they can afford to rest him or what's going on there. But, yeah, he, wasn't, he definitely wasn't 100%. Uh, let's have a, just before we wrap up, a quick laugh at the English for some of their decisions. First of all, not picking Anderson or Broad, and maybe Anderson was injured, I don't know, but uh, not picking either of those. And then batting first on that wicket in those conditions on day one, you know, what what's doing? Yeah, I mean, from a selection point of view, like Broad just absolutely owns Warner. And he's really good at coming around the wicket. And Australia have got a couple of left-handers in their top six now. So... It was bizarre not to pick Broad. He's also got a pretty good record at the Gabba. I think he's like 23 or 24. He averages at the Gabba. So it's pretty weird not to pick Broad. And then if Anderson's fit, they said they rested him or he's just coming back from injury, but I would have picked at least one of them. But, you know, they would know more about their health than us. But it was certainly a bit weird in the first test not to come out with probably what your preferred lineup is or at least with some experience. But, you know, whatever. In terms of... I can't really fault Root too much, to be honest. I think it was, I could have gone either way and, you know, would have got absolutely hammered um, either way, I think. It, it really, you depend on your players to back you up, back your decision up. I know he copped a lot of flack for the decision he made, but I can't, I can't fault it too much. What about you? Well, all I know is that Paddy said he would have bowled as well. Oh, sorry, batted as well. So I guess in that respect, it was probably the, the standard line of thinking. 
I get you always want to put runs on the board first in a, in a big, in the first test of a series like that. So mentally, I can't really fault it either, but it was funny how quickly it backfired. Well, I mean, there's probably some ghosts there. Was it Nasser Hussein who sent us in and then we were like none for 4,000 after day one and he copped shit for years. And then I'm pretty sure they did it again four years later or maybe eight years later, whatever it was. So there's some demons there from an English point of view of sending Australia in. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it worked out for us. So I'm not too concerned. Yeah, exactly. Um, on England as well, got fined their entire match fee as a team. <laughs> <laughs> for their slow overrate in a game that was over in three days. Yeah, apparently, if I've read this right, all players now lose their match fee because they were five overs over there, the, the allotment. So I think you lose 20% per over that you're behind. <laughs> they were five overs behind. So they lost 100% and they lose points from their the ICC Test World Championship. They got their ass kicked in three days. They, they, they don't get paid for it and they lose five points. Like, wow. Triple whammy. <gasps> Fortress Gabba. Um, yeah, because it was day two, I think was the killer because they obviously extended it. It was 98 overs in the day and they got through 80. And everyone was like, well, guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the other the more hilarious fine even other than that is Travis head getting done for giving out a big C bomb after missing a shot being caught up on the, on all the stump likes. Um, if anything, he should be applauded for that. Not fined, but I guess it well, violates I think a code of conduct. We should set up a GoFundMe, and all of Australia cricket fans should fund him dropping the C bomb and we'll pay for it. I can't imagine like surely the, the team, uh, if, if he got a duck, then he paid himself, but <laughs> the one good point. He, yeah, good point. <laughs> He got a 150. Surely the team like pulls together their match fees and just cover. Yeah, 15% of his match fee. Ah, well, Australia's 1-0 up in the series, going to Adelaide. A day-nighter. Any early predictions? A pain. Pain for England. No, I mean, if they bring in Anderson and Broad, Anderson under those lights with the pink ball is an absolute nightmare. You know, Australia's top six is still a little bit unsettled, to be honest. Um, obviously, uh, the openers, if Warner is injured or if he does play, he's going to be in discomfort. Harris is certainly a well, long way from cementing his spot. Cameron Green's still early on. So it's not like we've got a solid top six. You know, we've still got, obviously, Smith, Lubbershane and Head now in form. But, you know, I, I think if, if any test England are going to win, this would be the one they should win because it's, it's good conditions for them. But I just think Australia's got their tail up now. I think there'll be some, some damage from that big victory in their first test. And I think Australia will win this one as well. You? Yeah, well, I mean, if yeah, if they pick both Broad and Anderson, which they surely have to, um, you know, Ollie Robinson, Mark Wood, and who was their other? Was Wokes. Their other yeah, Wokes. Wokes. Like, I think Wood's more of an up and downer, so maybe he comes out, and then Robinson was probably their like reserve bowler anyway. So when it comes to Robinson, Wokes, and what's the other guy? I'm Wood doing the U now. Would. Would. It feels like all three of them, you can carry one of them, but they've got three of them. They, they, all, all three of them feel like an awesome first changer. Yeah. They've got all three of them. Well, I think Wokes is probably the best swinger out of the uh, out of the three, so probably carry him. I'm just worried that maybe we've hit Jack Leach out of the attack a bit too early. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, guys, don't, 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 don't get rid of him now. We need Although, to run for two tests. Apparently... Uh, someone's told me their backup spinner is even worse. He bowls pies. So, oh, 
uh, Dom Bess is his name. I don't know the bloke, but if he bowls pies and compared to Jack Leach, then I think we're all right in that department. <laughs> anyway, it's been a good chat about the first Ashes test. Look forward to Adelaide. Do you even use Twitter anymore? People can follow you. I, I look, I don't, I don't tweet anymore. Okay, we'll leave it at that then. Thanks for joining us and we look forward to your thoughts after the second test in Adelaide. Pleasure, mate.